True Believers, this is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, aka Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. Hey there, dear listeners. Welcome to Head Speaks, episode 56. This is basically a continuation of last month's that I didn't get a chance to finish. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, first up today, we have... Faster than a speeding bullet. the great hall of the Justice League. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is Watson Head Longbox. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. So this episode of Watson Head's Longbox, we're going to continue looking at Armageddon Inferno with the second issue. The credits is thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at www.mikesamazingworld.com. It's a great site. So this is Armageddon Inferno number two. Cover date was May of 1992. The on-sale date was March the 31st of 1992. Cover price was $1. The title of this was called Sea of Troubles. Writer was John Ostender. Penciler, Luke McDonald. Artists were Walt Simonson. Simonson? Simonson. And Art, uh, Michael Netzer. Inker was Bruce in Solotov. The letter was John Costanza. Colorist, Gene D'Angelo. Editor, Denny O'Neill. And the cover was done by Michael Netzer and Joseph Rubenstein. The synopsis. In present-day Metropolis, Lois Clark... Lois Clark? Lois Lane in Clark Kent's fast food lunch is interrupted by an unnamed gunman who is thwarted when Wave Rider, their recruit Super Clark, freezes time. Clark suggests that Wave Rider collect the other heroes, and they meet in the JSA's former headquarters, now a museum. There, Wave Rider brings together Superman, Martian Manhunter, Power Girl, Flash, and Wonder Woman from the present, and Troya, Starfire, and Guy Garner from about a year ago. He tells them all of Abraxas and his plans, then sends them off to the respective time periods to fight. Then he collects the others he needs. He convinces Lobo to help with the assistance of Royal Docks. He sends Lobo to join Guy Gardner and Starfire in the prehistoric past, and soon sends Orion and Enemy Ace to join them. There they confront the Dam- Damien, the Husks, and the Circulum, as a well as a few dinosaurs. In Europe, somewhere during World War II, members of Easy Company meet up with Gunner and Sarge and Pooch, both of whom were directed to the location by a major who seemed to glow, glow about him. In other words, Wave Riders possessing him. There they team up with Johnny Cloud, and shortly thereafter, Hawkman and Hawkwoman from Thangar 
joined to fight the demons. Husks and the Circulum. I'm probably mispronouncing that word. That's the way I pronounce it. Despite their best efforts, the Circulum is completed and Abraxas sends a portion of his consciousness into it to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Now, for my thoughts on this. As I, and well, most people do, we're going to start on the cover. <laughs> this year we got our Armageddon Inferno logo. Uh, the cover shows Sergeant Rock and Easy Company, the uh, Thingarians Hawkman and Hawkwoman, and Wave Rider on the cover. Wave Rider's kind of looming big over them. There's the time stream effect going around them. Uh, it's a very nice cover. I enjoy this cover. Again, this is a very, I think it, kind of sums up in essence what this issue is about basically just wave rider gathering these heroes and and sending them off through time to fight well i guess he doesn't send the uh, sergeant rock and them through time but you know anyways <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good cover i like this cover so moving on to the art and the story itself the art again this is uh written by john ostrander and the pencils by luke mcdonald both of them from the Suicide Squad book, which I cover monthly over on Task Force X. I think they're a great team. Uh, this I, say, I prefer normally the, the four-color superhero look, the you know, the full color and all that, but sometimes I think this, this darker, grittier artwork is appropriate, and it's so here, I think. So, moving on to the story... Uh, we start our cover, the, or the first issue, the first uh, page, Sea of Troubles, and we find out it's the home dimension of the demon Aprax. And this is a very nice splash panel. We get some caveman almost looking guy, some naked guy, all hairy, looking under a rock with a stick, probably looking for some grubs, I'm assuming. In the background, we got a castle. There's some giant brazers burning, I guess it is, it looks like. Uh, it's interesting. It, it's a very creepy looking setting. And basically, we just get a, uh, the narration here is giving us uh, a little information on Abrax's dimension. Uh, we see some other of these cavemen type people chasing this uh, woman, and they attack her. And this one little, uh, I don't know if it's because of Blair, so I will mention him a little bit more. The, the first little guy we see here. Uh, it doesn't give us a name. It just, in fact, he has no name, apparently. It says the boy has no name. He has no language. He has no civilization, no legends, no myths, no heroes to sustain his spirit. He knows no other life. There's only the need to feed. The constant fear and despair this life engen engen engenders and deep longing for which he has no name. Uh, and he sees the, you know, the rest of his fellow savages chasing down this woman with a child, attacking her. And he ends up hiding under a rock. All this goes on. And again, it's got the little, uh, let me see real quick. Uh, the guy's crouching by a rock says, and then he only, he only weeps, not understanding why. This is the reality of Abrax, a reality he would extend to other worlds. And then we cut over to Metropolis, our world, where it says worlds such as this one. And, uh, so, again, I don't know if this guy's going to come back at all in the, in the next two issues. I don't remember offhand. He may not. It may just be setting up the transition to our world. But And, again, for Superman and, and Lois and, and the regular heroes, I prefer, as I've said previously, uh, a different artist. Uh, 
but seeing him what the setting of the story is and with John Ostinger writing it, I think Luke McDonald's doing a good job. Here we get Lois and Clark standing at a counter and the waitress behind the counter has a glow about her. And as Lois and Clark look, uh, walks away, we still see the, the, the gal behind the counter still glowing. And the next panel shows a guy walking by with his hand in his jacket as he pulls a gun out. Oh, it looks like an Uzi or something. No more, no more, no more. I hear all the whispering. I know all the lying. No more, no more, no more. Again, the guy a little, a little nutso, it looks like. And Superman stands up and he, you know, he says he can protect Lois, but he doesn't know he can get, protect everyone at the same time. And Clark's thanking this. And all of a sudden, as Clark's pulling the glasses off, we hear someone say, don't worry, Superman. You have plenty of time. And we see Wave Rider and he's frozen everything except for him and Superman or Clark. And so he helps him stops the bullets that are coming out of the gun. And he tells Superman that I need your help. I want your help to save the universe. <laughs> uh, so again, so we know that the glow from earlier from the waitress, the, the clerk, whatever the counter gal was wave rider possessing or watching all this. Or as I think about it, remember back to the Armageddon series, the waitress may not actually exist. And that may just actually be wave rider in the the form of the waitress. I'm not quite sure, because I remember now, not only could he possess people, but he could on, take on and change his shape, make himself look like other people. So, and I will say, I was just saying that this is, I mean, again, I like normally over on Task Force X, I'm sorry, Suicide Squad, I normally like Luke McDonald's artwork, but here as I keep seeing this more and more, I, I'm not as happy with it. I don't know, Clark, a.k.a. Superman, looks just odd the way that Luke McDonald... And again, that's just Luke McDonald's style. But well, I, said, I enjoy him on uh, Suicide Squad, but yeah, I just... It, it, <clears throat> And I can make do because, again, I know the type of book this is. This is a darker, if you will, in quotes, book. But, yeah, just Clark looks really weird in there. Uh, Superman's got the same face. It's just odd-looking, I think, in, in my opinion. Uh, but I do like here on the bottom of page, unnumbered, so I'm going to call it page six. Uh, we get them at the JSA uh, Society headquarters or museum, and we see uh, the original Hawkman's mask and Jay Garrick's costume in glass. Uh, looks like the Green Lantern's behind Guy Gardner. I uh, can't make out the other two cabinets they show. Three. And here in case, if you don't know what happened to the JSA, at least as far as continuity-wise goes, Wonder Woman um, Martian Manhunter's talking and Wonder Woman's like, what became of the JSA? And John's teller tells her they disappeared on a secret mission some time ago. Dr. Fate and the Spectre seem to know about it, but all they'll say is the JSA is not coming back. Uh, and again, that was... Uh, I keep saying it was the, during the crisis, but I think, I think it was right after the crisis, during the... I think it was the America versus the JSA miniseries, I want to say. Again, it's been a while since I've read that, but I believe that's where they actually went off to Ragnarok to fight for all time to stop creatures or whatever from coming and destroying Earth. 
and we'll never see the JSA again or until the series. Uh, and then, and then we get, uh, Wally as the flash saying, you know, honest, I actually met Jay Garrett back in the thirties. It was Hawkman, Hawkwoman and power girls all sure. Wally, you bet. And he's, I did. <laughs> hey, you know, they say we get guy Gardner, uh, standing around looking and wave riders telling Superman that's that every not, not everyone's from this time frame. But let me see. Uh, he brought a lot of them from nanoseconds almost a year ago. Gardner as well, because I don't trust, I can't trust him not to blurt out things the Titan shouldn't. So instead of pulling the current day Guy Gardner into this scenario, he pulled the Guy Gardner from a year ago the same time as he pulled the Titans in. So, because again, Guy Gardner doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. He's very much. I'll say what I want and you can't stop me. So, and as he's, it's been, he's proving the point right there as he's looking, he's like, these 40 guys are a bunch of uh, dweebs. Only real hero among them was the green lantern. Funny how some things never change. And again, this is the jerk off guy Gardner, uh, earlier in the J just league, uh, America, just league international series. When he'd been hit in the head, he turned into a nice guy, but this was after that. And he's back to his, Though, as I'm doing the math on that, yeah, this must have been right after he turned back into. Again, comic book time is kind of weird. So either this is from right after he turned back into regular guy or from before the short period of time where he was Mr. Nice Guy. Hmm. Uh, Shag would probably know better. Anyways. And again, so we get Wave Rider recapping to our heroes, which we have Donna Troy or Troya. The Flash, Superman, uh, Star, Starfire, Wonder Woman, Power Girl, Guy Gardner, and John Jones, a.k.a. the Martian Manhunter. Or, as my wife calls him, the Marshmallow Manhunter. <laughs> but he recaps for them what happened last issue that the Abraxas gathered these people to bring him back to power uh, Wave Rider sends the disturbance, and then Abraxas sent the twelve souls to protect the the Circulums or whatever how you pronounce it. That's going to bring them back to life. Again, as I talked about in the synopsis, and again we get Guy Gardner as usual. What are we waiting for? Let's go kick some interdimensional interdimensional butt. And Troy is like, well, even if all power I have here, we don't have to be enough. Can you, can you summon some more? And Wave Rider lets us know there's going to be other heroes who will join them, but he doesn't dare take. He's got to watch who he takes because he doesn't want to mess up the flow of time or the time stream as it is. So, and again, we got Guy Gardner. Give me a break. Doesn't sound like there's going to be enough work for those we got. Hey, I got first dibs. <laughs> and then Wave Rider splits himself into multiple times, I guess, or maybe he's just showing the quickly. He transports the heroes to the different time points. And again, he said he's the guy backtrack and pick up the other members of the team. And I like these like, I wish I didn't have to get the next. Well, perhaps hero is the wrong term. And then we cut to the Legion headquarters. That's the uh, acronym Legion, L-E-G-I-O-N, where he's picking up Lobo, who again is DC's answer to Wolverine. 
And again, I, I was reading the Legion at this time. I enjoyed the Legion book. I wasn't a big fan of the Legion when it turned into Rebels later on. But I was enjoying uh, Legion, so... But yeah, got, got a Lobo sitting here working on his bike. And basically, uh, Vril tells him that he's assigning him to work with Waverider. I like this. <laughs> Vril's like... Mission just for you. You'll like it. It involves unmitigated, ah, try that again. Unmitigated slaughter, unbridled violence, so long as it's directed at foes and not allies, and I'm passing a chance to save the universe. I was like, huh, somebody wants to chip the universe? Frag, that sounds like my kind of guy. Maybe I should join up with this dude. And Vril's like, this dude will also wipe out your fishy buddies. Fetal's gives. Nobody messes with the main man's fishy buddies. I'll carve out his colon with a dull spoon and feed it to the bastard. <laughs> no doubt, if you knew where to find him. <laughs> and again, so he plays on Lobo's love of his his space fish, his space dolphins. Because uh, again, in the, the the book at this time, and I think over in the Lobo miniseries, every time he had one, or every once in a while it'd pop up. But he he's got space dolphins that he he's kind of adopted. So he loves them more than anything else. So. And uh, they're getting ready to go. Lobo gets on his bike. He's like, come on, Sparkles. Did I ever tell you I really hate people who sparkle? I'm revved. I'm primed. I'm in a nasty mood. Let's not waste it. And as they disappear, Vril's thinking about how easy it was for him to manipulate Lobo. He's like, sometimes this is almost too easy. And again, if you remember, we talked about it several months ago when during the Legion uh, crossover the Armageddon in the future that wave rider looked at, uh, he had captured wave rider and used wave rider to turn himself. And I believe it was, uh, Oh, who do you combine with? I forget now. I don't think it was captain comment. He got a couple other members of his team into some ferocious, weird, multi-armed alien guy. And uh, again, way of real, kind of remembered the experience, so he was able to talk to Wave Rider, and that's how that story ended. So, And then we cut back to Elsewin, where we get Starfire and Guy Gardner with dinosaurs, and all of a sudden Lobo pops in. And I'm trying to think... Well, see, Ben's the one exactly... Wave Rider pulled Guy from because I know that Lobo had met Guy Gardner and the Justice League America team or international team back in the early teens of their books. I'm trying to think. In fact, maybe it was when I think it's what it was when Lobo met them, he ended up knocking Guy through a wall, and that's I want to say was what reverted him back to our guy. So, and I was wondering if they remember each other. And apparently they do. Cause this guy shoots him with his ring. Let me see real quick. I'm looking here real quick. He pops in and yeah, he tells the guy Garter shoots him. He says, I'd rather jam it up your ear fish kisser. <laughs> so again, he apparently does remember him. So this does tie in. So I'm glad about that. Uh, and like guy and Lobo's getting ready to throw down 
Lobo's like, a back shot, huh? That was low, sneaky, butthead kind of blow. I liked it. The universe can wait. You die first. And Starfire has to get between them and use her starburst powers to separate them. Look, we're all warriors, and we're here for a purpose. We have to deal with the first, this, that first, and then settle private, skill, pri- settle private scores. And Lobo being Lobo is like, says who? And that's when Orion from the New Gods appears out of a boom tube. I have the word. It is battle. Orion. And Guy says he knows him from the uh, the from the Justice League. He's one of the New Gods. <laughs> He's going to take the fun out of everything. And then also, enemy ace flies in overhead. And uh, again, so he's got enemy ace shooting down a pterodactyl, which is really cool. I like this uh, the scene of enemy ace just shooting down, which was from the the DC's War comics at the time. Actually, they weren't really publishing these books at the time. I know he showed up somewhere because I'd only been into comics what five years through four years by the time this came out, five years or so. And uh, I know I'd read some Enemy Ace. It may have been backup reprints or something. I forget now. But, and uh, Enemy Ace thinks he's like, he thinks he's dreaming. He's like, so even in my dreams, there's no escape the killing skies. Awake or asleep, I must be, I must still be a killing machine. I must live the nightmare of war. <laughs> and again, so Enemy Ace, if you're not familiar, he's from World, World War One. I, I want to say. With a biplane. Uh, let me see real quick. And I guess they made a movie about him because someone's talking. They're like, hey, they made a movie about that guy. His name's Hans von Hammer. They called him Enemy Ace. <laughs> and so Love was like, great. A wooden kite with guns. That's going to be real handy in a fight. Don't get caught in my backblast, buddy. And then they see Abraxas's Circulum. Circulum? Circulum? How do you pronounce it? With all of the uh, warriors protecting it, and one of the the people, the the people, I guess, I guess the best term, that gave themselves to Abraxas was a movie star of some sort. Uh, she opens her mouth and she's got like a, a like a black canary scream almost coming out. She's like, "Hello, darlings! Don't tell me you want my autograph. Mercedes Ritter was your favorite B movie queen, yes? No? Forgot me, have you? You won't forget this." And she's blasting with like a, a, a canary cry almost. You'll never forget Calibra, the hammer voice, as long as you live. Another two or three seconds at least. And can we get Lobo being blown off his bike? He's like, fetal giz. <laughs> and again, why well, I'm not a big fan of Luke McDonald drawing regular superheroes. I, I do like some of the panels are really nice. Like this one here at the very bottom of page. 14 it looks like where uh i say lobo's being thrown off his bike and guy gardner and starfire and orion's being thrown back and enemy ace is off in the distance a little bit so it looks like he may be missing it and then we cut over to i think this is world war ii yeah world war ii right here where we have uh sergeant rock and easy company and let me see real quick i'm just looking at this so they meet up with, looks like it's Sergeant Gunner and their dog Pooch. Um, see, I'm not, I had to look these guys up because I'm not as familiar with them. I got a little confused. I thought this was Sergeant Rock, but I'm like, women, he's leading easy company. So apparently this, the Sarge guy is Captain Storm and his buddy's Gunner. And then they got Pooch. 
Oh, actually, no. Okay, I see. Captain Storm. No, this isn't Captain Storm. This is actually Sarge. That's his name. He's from the Losers, apparently. The Losers was a a group of war characters. I don't think they had a lot of appearances. Um, looking at, what is this, dc.fandom.com, it said there's 139 appearances of Sarge Clay, a.k.a. Sarge. And just looking at, again, this database for DC, uh, he was in the DC Encyclopedia, volume, I'm sorry, issue 10 and 3 of Crisis. He was in an encyclopedia, a couple of encyclopedias. He was in an issue of uh, Captain Storm, that's where I got Captain Storm from. And he was also in the Loser Special, which was a crisis uh, crossover. And that's the last place they appeared until here when, when Sarge and Gunner and Pooch shows up. But, and again, so the two teams know of each other. They probably teamed up. In fact, he's probably showed up over in Sergeant Rock's or the Easy Company's book at some point, I'm sure. But uh, again, they meet up and... He's like, yeah, hey, you. T- Let me see. Yeah, yeah, you told me. Hey, Rock, how's the second best sergeant in the whole blamed army? <laughs> so again, they get kind of, they meet up, and the top two compare notes, and then all of a sudden, Abraxas shows up here with his army of soldiers, and again, one of the guys again, they're all in shadow, so I'm not sure who's speaking. Is like, Cripes, looks like something from Mystery Men back stateside would be do better tackling. And one of the sergeants like, not going to happen. As long as Hitler's got that Spear of Destiny thing, this company, this war belongs to Combat Happy Joes. And uh, again, a plane flies in with uh, being flown by Johnny Cloud, another war character. I'm not familiar with him either, other than hearing his name appear here and there. Uh, but again, this I do like that they mentioned the Spear of Destiny. This is what DC used back during World War II to, as a reason why Superman or Green Lantern or one of the other mystery men at the time didn't fly over to Germany and, and sock away it off in the jaw. He had the Spear of Destiny, which is a spear that was used to sp- uh, pierce the sight of Christ as hung from the cross. Supposedly gave it magic powers. And Hitler was able to use that to keep any superpowered people away from that side of the country, that side of the world. So I, I do like the fact they bring this up. And again, we're not seeing any superpowered heroes here. We get Sergeant Rock and Easy Company. We get a couple of guys from the Losers uh, with another World War II pilots. And as they're fighting these shadow demons and sh- shadow wolves. Uh, they get the helping hand from Hawkman Hawkwoman. And this is the post-crisis uh, th- uh, Hawkman Hawkwoman. This is the Hawkman and Hawkwoman from Hawkworld. They got the metal wings. So these are from more current times. And again, as they're fighting the, the soldiers, or the demons, the creatures, uh, one of the guys is like, who the hell are they, Rock? And Sergeant Rock's like, looks like Hawkman Hawkwoman back home. Only suited up for war. Now shut up and help me get Ice Cream Soldier out of the ice before he catches a cold. <laughs> ice Cream Soldier. But again, so I do like that, again, they're referencing that, you know, that these two do look a bit like Hawkman Hawkwoman from the JSA, which they should because they're, uh, 
Well, later on, they'll say there was a reincarnation of him, if I'm not mistaken. They, they said all the hawks and other people, all the, a lot of bird-themed people from out time are reincarnated into Hawkman, Hawkwoman. So, and again, th- this here is a World War II story, basically. We get these dark demons uh, fighting them. So I do really like the, the darker colors and the uh, Luke's scratchier artwork, I guess you can say, in these panels. Again, so they fight some more. And as the issue ends, uh, let me see, they're, they're firing at the demon. And all of a sudden, the, the circulum comes to life. And he's like, well done, my Damien. Your work is completed. Abraxas is come. And his hand starts glowing with power. And we had next issue. Walt Simonson returns as Art Adams joins us. And we learn just what did happen to the legendary Just Sight of America. Things get way cool. So again, that was that was the second issue of Armageddon Inferno. And like here in the, the letters page section, so they don't have any letters on it because it was a four-issue miniseries. And this was only the second issue. They give us a little uh, a recap of who all these characters are. They talk about Wave Rider. They talk about Firestorm. This is Martin Stein. Designer of Nuclear Power Plant. Ron Raymond. High school students were bound together by a group of environmental ter- terrorists who took over and sabotaged the plants. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, again, I, I was reading Firestorm just because I like him. But if you don't know who these characters are, it tells about a little bit about all of them. Uh, they don't mention... I mean, Sarah, they, they mention Sergeant Rock. Okay. And they do mention Gunner and Sarge. There were two Marines from the inner city worked together in World War II, become one of the most successful teams of the entire war. They both possess commando skills that saved their lives numerous times. They are two of the four founding members of the Losers, a service task force. So then they also have Pooch as his own entry. Pooch is a dog who hung out with Gunner and Sarge. <laughs> and Johnny Cloud, that was the pilot I wasn't quite sure of. Then we had Troya, Power Girl. I saw all the other heroes are listed here. Enemy Ace, Orion. Uh, again, I do like... <laughs> and here at the very end... <laughs> <laughs> they describe all these other characters and they get down to Superman. Oh, come on. You know who he is. Wonder Woman. See Superman entry. Flash. See Superman entry. Or, I'm sorry. See Wonder Woman entry. Batman. See Flash entry. <laughs> so again, those four, you know who they are. <laughs> if you don't, what are you reading comics for? <laughs> and I like this. It's signed at the very bottom by Scott Peterson. It says a veritable gold mine of facts. The overwhelming majority of which cut he stole from who's who. Uh, so again, I really love that. I love the mention of who's who. Uh, this was probably after the loosely format, but again, I, I really love the who's who series. Both, uh, all three of the, or there was a four, three, I think it was three. There was who's who, who's who update 87 and 88, I think. And then they had the loose leaf. I really love those. Uh, but again, this is a good, I'm enjoying this series more than a lot of people did, I think. Again, just like I enjoyed uh, the the Armageddon Alien Agenda more than a lot of people. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. I am finding the same with this one. This is not a bad series. Uh, again, when I mentioned I was going to cover this, a lot of people are like, why are you doing that to yourself? You know, you're glutton for punishments. But I am enjoying this series at this point. We'll see if it keeps on that way, but... Uh, and again, for more on the who's who they talked about, definitely check out Friends of the Show, the Irredeemable Shag, and Rob Kelly's Who's Who's podcast over on the Fire and Water Network podcast. But 
that's going to do it for this episode or this segment of what's in his long box. I'm going to play some commercial breaks and I'll be right back with you. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfi Stafner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is, like, DC events. DC events? As in the comic books? DC events? Yes, yes. The comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we, we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earth? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very... Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DC or CD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't think I can claim you on <laughs> benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my, I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. Haunted House shut down this season? Then come to the house party that no force can stop. The House of Frankenstein. The Supermates are throwing their annual bash no matter what and inviting some of your favorite horror stars. Lon Chaney Jr. Anyone who enters here without my permission will be considered a trespasser. Lionel Atwell. I happen I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Christopher Lee. Don't use long words, Inspector. They don't suit you. Evil and anchors. We haven't been able to contact Count Alucard so far. Peter Cushing. I've told you before there are times when you shouldn't be alone. Bela Lugosi. He's mine. He don't belong to you. You go away. Barbara Shelley. There have been seven murders committed in the forest of Bandorf in the past five years. Basil Rathbone. But of course I know who did. Haven't you heard? The monster. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? And Boris Karloff. <laughs> Plus a few party crashers. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. And some amazing friends. Dragonstein! Worst thing! Let them take care of your friends, my dear. <laughs> I'll take the robot. You take the wolf thing. Good. I've always had a way with animals. 
Schedule RSVP to fireandwaterpodcast.com, iTunes, or Spotify, and don't miss the one Halloween party you can count on to be scary in a good way. Not the 2020 way. The House of Frankenstein. Beginning in 2018, the Who's Who podcast enters the 1990s with our coverage of the Loose Leaf Editions. Featuring Superman by Jerry Ordway. The Joker by Brian Bolland. Wonder Woman by George Perez. Sandman by Mike Dringenberg. Batman by Norm Brayfogle. The JLI by Adam Hughes. Eclipso by Bart Sears. The Legion of Superheroes by Keith Giffen. Dark Stars by Travis Charest. Lobo by Simon Bisley. Kent Shakespeare by Chris Sprout. Who is that? Doomsday by Tom Grummet. Wait, are we covering these by issue or in alphabetical order? The Justice Society of America by Mike Parabek. The Forever People again? You are f***ing kidding me. Doom Patrol by Richard Case. (sighs) I'm so confused. And many more. The Who's Who podcast, going boldly into the 90s. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I guess. And now back to Head Speaks. And welcome back. Hope you enjoyed those those promos. Now let's go ahead and move on to our next segment for this week or this month. This whatever it is. For this this uh, episode's at the movies of head, I'm gonna look at a it's supposed to be a TV series, but there's only one episode of it. It was a show I just recently watched. It's called The Greatest American Heroine. A little background: uh, before that, there was a series called The Greatest American Hero. It was on ABC, created by Stephen Cannell, and it ran for like three seasons. Yeah, three seasons. There was 45 episodes altogether. There's five unaired episodes. Uh, the show I'm going to talk about now being one of them. Uh, basically, the greatest American hero. I need to talk about that to talk about the the next one. Uh, I'll just talk about it briefly. It's about this this teacher. I think he was an English teacher or something uh, named Ralph Hinckley, who gets a superhero suit from some aliens, and the suit gives him powers. He takes the suit, it comes with an instruction booklet, and as he's walking back to town, the instruction booklet falls out and he loses it. And he's teamed up with an FBI, an FBI agent named Bill Maxwell. And this, this starred William Catt as Ralph Hinckley and Robert Culp as Bill Maxwell, and also had Connie Selica as Pam D- Davidson, a lawyer, and also Ralph's uh, girlfriend. And apparently, again, just briefly, uh, Ralph's last name, Hinkley, was changed to Hanley for part of the first season, right after Ronald Reagan, the president at the time, was shot and wounded by John Hinkley Jr. Uh, when they were doing this, that happened, so they quickly <laughs> changed his name to Hank uh, Hanley, or just called him Mr. H, and eventually it went back to Hinkley. <laughs> 
But anyways, yeah, so Ralph's got this red and black suit that gives him super human abilities. And he spends the next three years solving crimes, you know, being a superhero, if you will. Uh, this came out in 1981 through 1983, so this was the very early 80s. The special effects of the time were very cheesy. It was very green screeny. Again, it's to be expected for a 1981 through 1883 TV show. Also, just as a quick mention, uh, another actress appeared in here, Faye Grants, who was in a regular in the V and V miniseries, uh, V and uh, the V to Final Battle miniseries, and she also appeared in some other shows. One of them being Voyagers which me and my uh, beautiful wife talked about back in, I think it was episode one or episode two of Voyager's cast. So definitely check out that. But that's enough about the greatest American hero. And let's go ahead and move over to what I'm actually talking about this episode, the greatest American heroine. Again, I'd give you a little background so you know what I'm referring to, because this was supposed to be a, uh, its own show. It was because this came out a couple years after. Let me see. The Greatest American Hero ended in 1983. And then 1986, they got him back together for a pilot movie for a new NBC series. It was going to be called The Greatest American Heroine. But it didn't result in a new series. In fact, it looks like the pilot was never broadcast by NBC. This was one of the five episodes that was never shown. Um, let me see. According to Wikipedia... The pilot was re-edited as an episode of the original series. Okay, so they were going to use this as its own pilot for its own show, but they decided not to do that for whatever reason. And they uh, eventually released it on TV, but they put the Greatest American Hero intro and final credits at the beginning of the end because, again, it was just a regular episode. And when so you went through the Greatest American Hero song, which I play part of that for my intros and outros to my breaks, but they played that song, and then when they show the episode, the title, that's where they showed it was Greatest American Heroine. Uh, they showed the Greatest American Hero, and then they appended the letters I-N-E at the end of it, uh, individually to the sound of the NBC chimes. Uh, and I guess the chimes, they were not to NBC and its president, Brandon Tarkinoff, who expressed interest in reviving the series. So anyways, again, it doesn't say here why it didn't get picked up to a full series or why they didn't even release the pilot as a pilot. But the pilot, again, this is all coming from Wikipedia. It reveals that several years after the final episode, Ralph's secret identity was finally revealed to the public, resulting in him becoming a celebrity. This angers the aliens who gave him the suit, and they charge him with finding a new hero to wear the costume and use his power to fight evil. Once the transfer is made, they explain that all memory of Ralph's exploits will be purged from the world's memory and remembered only by Ralph, Pam, and Bill. Uh, Bill begins searching by researching people with desired hero qualities, but Ralph finds a young woman named Holly Hathaway, played by Mary Ellen Stewart, which is an elementary school teacher who spends her off hours time looking for lost kittens, raising environmental awareness, and serving as a foster mother. Bill, Pam, and Ralph meet in the desert, Ralph tells Bill about Holly. He reacts visibly to his new partner being a skirt before Holly arrives, flying in wearing a new version of the suit made for her, and she pledges to help Bill. The original trio say their final farewells, and even the stoic Maxwell reveals his true emotions as he says goodbye to Ralph and calling Pam 
a calling Pam a trooper, one of the best. Holly reacts emotionally to the fond farewells, but breaks the summer mood as she accidentally pulls the floor off Bill's sedan. <laughs> uh, the rest of the episode deals with her learning how to use the suit, with Bill's guidance, and the pair trying to develop a working relationship. It ends with Holly taking her foster, talking to her foster daughter about Bill, saying he's a good person. Bill overhears this, uh, say, her saying this about him, speaks to a recorder as he uses his diary to suggest that maybe she is the right person to wear the suit after all. So I looked around trying to find out why the this never made a pilot, why the, or the pilot never aired as a pilot, why they never made a series for it. I can't really find anything out. So if any of you listeners out there know, maybe let me know if you, if you heard anything. But again, I looked. Some people didn't care for the, this episode. Uh, I I liked what I saw. I saw I watched it just recently. I know I've heard of it, but never actually sat down and watched it until recently. I enjoyed it. I know nowadays. A lot of people would say it's a SJW show. They took a, a male hero, turned him to a female, a social justice warrior. She's trying to save the environment, save the whales. Oh my God, let's stop doing that. This was back in 1986 they were doing that. So everyone that's crying about, you know, SJ warrior characters and stuff, shut up. Uh, like I said they've been doing this forever. Caring about the environment. Uh, Caring, you know, trying to make a, a woman character, if that's a problem, I think the problem's more with you. But it is what it is. Anyways, I, like I said, I enjoyed this episode. I personally would have enjoyed seeing the series. I watched, if not all, most of the original Amer- Real American Hero. I never saw this. I heard about this, like I say, later on. I'd heard that they did this. And then like I think I've talked about before, maybe not. Uh, me and the wife have recently cut the cord, as they say, and we're just doing streaming now for our TV. So I, I found this, and I mean, let me watch that. And I, you know, I enjoyed that. Uh, we start out with the original Regrets American Hero, Ralph Hinckley. Uh, actually, it starts with Bill Maxwell, the FBI agent and his partner, telling about what happened after the series ended. Uh, Ralph saved some kid or some some girl, and there was people around. They saw him, and she knew he was the teacher, so she said, oh, thank you. And the president showed up right there. I think that was a little corny, but his, uh, public ident- his identity got out to the public, again, which isn't too hard. He doesn't wear a mask. He doesn't even, you know, change his hair like Superman does or anything. So it's a wonder his identity didn't come out sooner, but it is what it is. And so he becomes famous. And I was reading a couple blogs and a couple websites. And that's what some people didn't care for was that this this Ralph Hinckley wasn't the same Hinckley from the series they'd watched several years back. Because again, here, Ralph kind of gave up the hero life and was becoming more uh, egotistical, more, more uh, obsessed with stardom. And I can see where they're coming from not liking that because, again, uh, Ralph was always a down-to-earth kind of guy. But I don't know. Sometimes being a celebrity, being having you know your, your actual name and, and likeness thrust out into the limelight, that changes some people. So I, I don't have the problem with it that a lot of people do. Uh, and I say the aliens took him and, and his wife, Pam, up into the ship. And 
he they uh, basically they scolded him because yes they I this, our, uh Wikipedia says they were mad. I don't know if they were so much mad or disappointed, but they they weren't happy with the fact that his identity was known because that was compromising his work and the fact that Ralph started becoming more egotistical, more not so much worried about crime, but worried about, you know, what TV shows he was going to appear on, what talk shows he would be on. And so that's why they told me, well, you need to find somebody else. And once you transfer the costume, everyone will forget who you are. And of course, one of his first suggestions was his partner, Bill Maxwell, but the aliens say, you know, this person needs to be trustworthy. It needs to be um, kind, needs to be a bunch of things that while Bill Maxwell is a great character, a great person, He's not the the heroic type, if you will. The selfishness. That's one of the main things. They wanted someone that would be, you know, very selfless. And again, that's that's not Bill... Selfless. Selfless. As my wife corrects me. (laughs) They want someone that's selfless. And Bill Maxwell is definitely not that. So... I'm just looking here real quick. But yeah, so he finds us, like Bill's doing it methodically and doing it logically, going through, you know, all the computers and looking up all the different people, trying to find, you know, Medal of Honor winners and soldiers and this and that. Meanwhile, Ralph, he keeps looking at, uh, again, I forgot her name now. Uh, he, he keeps looking at... Holly, that's her name. He keeps looking at Holly, and you know she's got this organization called uh, something paws or something like that, hooking, helping out animals. Um, she's you know wanting to save the whales. She's a teacher. She's a very much like I said earlier, what a lot of people call an SJW character at this point. But Bill Caesar, you know, he's like, well, what do you get out of this? Or you know. He's talking to her, you know, if you ever get married, you know, your husband, you know, is he going to, you going to give up all this other stuff to devote to a husband? He's like, well, no, if I find the right guy, he's going to have to understand that this is who I am. Rescuing these dogs, saving the planet, doing this, doing the kids, all this is who I am. If he doesn't like that, he's not the right man. And again, I do like the fact that, that Holly is very, uh, I want to say self-assured. I mean, again, with the costume, she's a little nervous because she's never done it before. But as a woman, she's very self-assured. She's like, you know, well, this is who I am. I, I want to make a difference in the world. And I think that's one reason why she took on the suit is because she wants to make that difference. And I really liked uh, Mary Ellen Stewart as Holly. Uh, again, she was a very beautiful woman. Uh, she had blonde hair that was kind of curly. Her hair kind of reminded me quite a bit of originally uh, how uh, Ralph Hinckley's hair looked. It was very curly, uh, but I thought, you know, again, I, when we was watching, I, saw, you know, I told my wife, she's very bubbly. She's very, uh, I forget the word I use, but she's very energetic. She's very, she had a great personality. She enjoyed having the suit. She was very uh, happy with it. She was, she was just, my wife says that Holly kind of reminds her of, uh, again, my mind just blanked out. Not Chrissy. Uh, Chrissy's cousin who was Cindy, there is, Cindy Snow. Cindy Snow from Three's Company, played by Jenna Lee Harrison. Uh, again, uh, Chrissy, I'm sorry, Chrissy. Cindy 
was another blonde replacement for Chrissy. And then when Cindy left, they replaced her with another blonde Terry. Uh, both Chrissy and Cindy were a little more ditzy. And then when they replaced her the third time with uh, Terry, Terry wasn't quite the ditz that the other two were. But, uh, and I, I guess I can kind of see that, yeah. Yeah, very bubbly and sparkly and just very full of life and energetic. And again, personally, I wouldn't mind seeing the greatest American heroine move on as a series. I would have liked to see more episodes of that. I think that she would have worked out nicely. I I think they could have, I don't want to say darkened her character, but brought her down a little bit so she wasn't quite so bubbly. That, you know, seeing everything she has to go through, but... Even if they kept her the way she was, I, I really would would have loved to see that play out. Because again, you you've got the very energetic and light and happy superhero in quotes, and then you got her her assistant, her partner, the older, craggly, very just get off my lawn. Bill Maxwell, FBI agent. So I think that would have been a dynamic duo. Uh, <laughs> But that would have been a great story, I think, if they could have actually, I don't know why, again, I can't find anything on the internet that says why they uh, didn't bring it to series, why they didn't play the pilot as a pilot. But as I'm talking about this, my wife's sitting here doing her homework for school. She's going to college for a, uh, to be a teacher. She's looking over at me and she's giving me the high sign that she wants to join in. So uh, we've got a last minute surprise guest for this episode. My wife, the beautiful and lovely Michelle Moss. Hello. Hello. Uh, we talk over on the Quantum Leap, or I'm sorry, the Starbright Project podcast and Voyagers cast every month about Quantum Leap and the Voyagers. Uh, so we were used to podcasting together, but and she's been on this show before, so she wanted to join in real quick and give her thoughts because she sat here and watched the, I want to say pilot, but it wasn't really a pilot, that episode with me. So, Michelle, what are your thoughts on The Greatest American Hero? First, before we go that far, did you watch The Greatest American Hero when it was on TV? So, when did it air? 82 through 80, no, 81 through 83. Okay, how old was I? So, you would have been four, five? <laughs> so, so probably not. <laughs> but the thing is, I remember the theme song. So, if I can sing the theme song, I'm going to say mm-hmm. I did, but I don't remember really watching it. But you may have caught it in syndication or excuse me. Yeah, you, you would have, now that I'm thinking about it, you would have been like four, between four and six years old when that series first came out, so. But what's weird is my mom always complained that I watched stuff like that. (laughs) So, but you did watch it. So, it could be possible that I watched that stuff, but my mom just turned it on to shut me up. (laughs) Because I liked, like, the Hulk, and I liked that stuff, and she always complained that I liked that kind of thing. So... Even as a little girl, I was very much that geeky little girl that liked those kind of shows. And like I said, I can sing the theme song, which (laughs) you turn it on and I'm like just singing along. And I'm like, how do I know this? I was too young to know this. So I'm going to say yes that I've seen it, but I'm going to say I do not remember a darn thing except for this theme song. So we'll we'll just say that. And so, again, you sat here and watched... Uh, a greatest American heroine with me. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that show? So you keep referring to SJW and I cringe every time you, you even remotely bring that term up with her because I just don't see the connection with, 
I mean, I know you're using it as far as like, you know, there are people out there that are like that and they do all that, but I know this isn't what this podcast is about and all that fun stuff, but I feel like just because she's all into that kind of thing doesn't necessarily would have even now label her as that. I think they would have, because again, they took a male hero, replaced him with a female. They made her very typical, very stereotypical, blonde, very, very, uh, I say bubbly. They they made her very much into charity work, and she had an adopted daughter. She was trying to save the planet. She, you know, their first mission. She was trying to save the whales. People today, if this was, if they'd had a new, you know, a show that they replaced a man with a woman doing all that, people would have on the internet been complaining she was an SJW. I don't know, because if I could do all that, I would do that, and I wouldn't be an SJW. Well, I'm not saying she is, but a lot of people would claim she is. Okay, but you're labeling her that. No, I'm not labeling. I'm saying people would call her that. I liked it. I thought she was a good character. I liked the show. But I'm saying that today, people would call her an SJW. Well, because people suck sometimes. Well, that's true. And again, I'm not referring to her myself. I'm not saying I think she's one. I'm saying I think that nowadays... If they did that, people would refer to her as that. Well, I guess. And they would, because the internet's an awful place. Well, yeah, I mean, the internet... (laughs) That's what I'm referring to. That's where I'm getting, you know, people people on the internet would refer to her as an SJW, and they complain that, well, they replaced my male hero with a female. Well, they do that. They complain that for everything. I know, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. If this was done today... Yeah. They would complain that she was an SJW character, but you politics out of my TV show. But you complain about that stuff too. No, I don't. Not that's different. When they take, <laughs> exi- that- when they take an ex- now, see if they would have taken Ralph Hinckley uh-huh. and revamped the series and made Ralph Hinckley Raleen Hinckley. Uh huh. Then I would have complained. Uh huh. But like I said, I enjoy, I like. Uh, Miles Morales, the Spider-Man. Uh-huh. I don't mind if they take an existing superhero right. and change the person inside the costume. Okay. I just don't want to see a black Bruce Wayne, a black Superman, a white Luke Cage. I, I want to see see those characters be who they are. Uh-huh. And if you want to replace them, make a new character. Right. I know. We've been over that conversation. Yeah. So, that's, that's, so I, I don't mind... Seeing more women, more, you know, politically correct stuff, whatever you want to call it, in comics. Uh-huh. I just don't want to see them changing the the alter ego of a character, if you will, just for those reasons. Right. I agree with you. But labeling them, I mean, I, I guess I see where you're, your point, but you're going to get people bitching and moaning on Facebook and the internet, no matter what. I mean, they're well, going to, you are, I'm just, I was just saying, I was just making a point there pointing out that if they did this today, that's one thing people complain about. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying I think she is. Okay. Like I said, I enjoyed the, character. I'm just clearing that up because I, I don't necessarily see her as an SJW character. I just think that, you know, maybe, maybe I guess they could tone it down a little bit with what she did if they don't want her to be an SJW character. You know, maybe, 
not have her be all those things in one package. Maybe she only was a foster parent or maybe she's only um, a pet rescue person or something if they don't want to be her you know if they were to redo this you know instead of doing have her being all of those things in one big package have her do two of those things or maybe she was a firefighter well, see, that's, or- that's one reason why ralph chose her though is because she was very much over the top very much into all of this that's why ralph chose her that's why they gave her all these these different causes I guess you can say mm-hmm. all these different things she she did because Ralph wanted someone because again when Bill was looking he was looking for someone like a soldier or someone that you know had a thing on file so they could look up and have some actual statistics to right. prove what. But what I'm saying if but, the, for this day and age you've got the 80s right where there wasn't SJWs right but nowadays in the 2020s I see what you're saying they. You have that label. So now you have to come up with a character that is going to fit into a box that won't necessarily have that label anymore. So maybe now... What's the guy's name that he's looking for her? Ralph. Ralph. Sorry, I'm horrible with names. Ralph, he finds her and he is smitten by the two things that she does whereas hank is is a hank bill 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 is looking say he's only looking for soldiers or he's only looking for doctors or he's only looking for ex-marines or whatever the case may be and he's only looking for those things but uh, hank ralph Ralph, he's you know he likes the fact that she's soft-hearted and is you know saving a kitten from a tree and is a teacher a kindergarten teacher and maybe she is a a foster parent or whatever the case may be maybe those are the facts he likes about her that causes him to ask her to be those things not necessarily that she's saving the wells and she's saving the environment and she's you know cultivating her own compost heap in her backyard and she's got hairy armpits and all the other things that you know you would think of in the regards of that nowadays have not necessarily all of the package but just some of the package to tone it down a little bit i know you don't like that but i think it'd been fine just do it like because again that's that's part of why but if you're trying to save the character and you're trying to save the backlash maybe that would be a way to save the backlash if that you're so worried about on the internet See, personally, if I was in charge, I would keep it just the same, and I would say the hell with those people because, again, that's that's part. And again, if people complain about, that's part of her backstory. That's part of her origin. That's why she is who she is. Well, then why would you bring it up? Because I was just saying that people today would complain about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they're right. People complain about everything. I'm not saying that I agree with them or that we should listen to them. Mm I was just bringing up that I think people would complain about her mm-hmm. for that reason. I'm not saying they're right or that I would change it if I was if I was in charge of the character. I see. I would keep her just like she was. Oh, okay. So, mm-hmm. what else do you think about the the, uh, the episode? Um, I thought she was too bubbly. See, I liked that. I thought that was it was a nice contrast. 
it was to too build, much. It, to me, build. she felt too blonde and dingy. Like to me, I wanted a smacker. <laughs> you about spit out your drink. Uh, to me, I was just like, oh my gosh, she's just over the top dumb. Like, like. See, I don't think I. I don't think she was dumb. No, she, she felt dumb. Like not dumb. Like she felt. That's why I said Chrissy Snow. And that's why it doesn't like Chrissy Snow and the other like in between the two, because she she was too like kind of. So I don't think she was dumb. She was just very giggly and very maybe maybe a little naive, uh, a little optimistic, or quite a bit optimistic. But I, I don't think there's a difference between. Chrissy Snow and Cindy. Well, Chrissy was a, a dumb blonde. Yes. Being that. Right. Cindy was a, uh, she was always getting accident prone. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. She was accident prone and again, a little on the dingy side. I don't think that Holly was dingy. She, she came w- off so dumb blonde to me. Like. Yeah. She came across very smart. Very. She was just very, like I said, she was very energetic and very, very lighthearted. Especially at the end when she pulled the door off, it absolutely annoyed me. I didn't, I didn't find it funny. I found it to be almost insulting. Well, say again, because they did a lot of the same stuff with Ralph during his when he first got the suit. He would actually pull all doors off, so it was kind of a throwback to that. Okay. Because again, they don't know how to. He, she doesn't know how to use a suit. And when Ralph started out, he didn't know how to use a suit because he lost the instruction manual. Yeah, I get that he it was her superpowers, her, so. but it was just the way, like, she laughed and, like, I liked her. That was the funny part about it. I still liked her, it, but to me, she was just, like, a little bit too bubbly for me. That's where I agree to agree on that, because I, I liked it. Like, that was a nice contrast. To, but you like blondes, so. Well, that too, but I'm not talking about the way she looks. I'm talking about her personality. and Yeah, but I think you're... I think you like that, though. Probably. I think you're attracted to that. Probably. No, well, you are. Not, you're attracted that, to that. You're attracted to that. So I think you're a little bit more forgiving on that. Uh, probably. But um, it's a superhero show, so I, again, I tend to be a are, bit more forgiving on those too. Though, yeah, so. but I mean, it was it was neat. I liked her. I liked the suit. I liked that it wasn't overly suggestive. Right. It, it stayed very much with the the male suit. Right. So like, it wasn't. And I really liked that actually. <sighs> like, I liked when I saw. I was like, oh wow, it's very much like the counterpart. Um, so did I, for different reasons. Never mind. See, exactly. No, I, no I, I did like the fact that they, they didn't sex it up, if you will. Yeah, it, and it also kept it very family-friendly. Very, like, our, your daughter could watch it, right. and it wasn't suggestive in any way. See, I think they would have done this 10 years later. It would have been suggestive. Or 15 years later, yeah, it would have been more suggestive when they should have She would have been in a skirt. Yeah. She would have been in a skirt. It would have been v-neck or something like right. that she would have shown some cleavage and it it didn't need it like right. it was about the superhero right um and even like her shoes were flats right she didn't even have heels on and 
to be honest with you, I was looking for some shoes. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, she's got flats on. Like, I noticed that. But at the same time, I appreciated that it was right. flats, you know, but I was actually More looking sensible, for, but you know, I was looking for some shoes. Was sensible. I was looking for some <laughs> shoes, but, um, so let me ask you this. Would you yeah. have watched that if it continued on as a series? Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. I would have had to, her personality would have had to grow on me a little bit. I would have had and to that's like. that's what I was saying when I talked about earlier. I would, I would have liked maybe that would have, if they would have toned that down a little bit over the series as she's learning more about life and how rotten people are. <laughs> she was just too over eager for me. I think that's the best so I like that. way. And I agree. I agree that she was over. I don't, I'm not going to say too over eager. I think she was, she was over eager and that's, to me, that was part of her charm, part of her, her, it wasn't her personality, charming. part of her. And again, if they would have continued as a series, that's something they could have could have toned down a little bit. Toned her down, lightened Bill up a little bit. They two could have met a little more in the middle. But as far as Bill. Right. Um, he cracked me up. I thought it was funny. I liked the contrast. Right. Um, he was a little bit sexist. But no, in the, no, he wasn't a little sexist. He was a lot. He sexist. was a whole lot sexist. Yeah, he, he, that's um, the area he came from. Yeah, but the I was say the era for it. I mean, I was like, dude, I can't believe that he said that on TV. You know, well, but he our skirt. Yeah, I mean, there well, there was a lot of things. He's like a girl, you know. But yeah, this is the mid eighties, right? They didn't make a lot of female action figures because they did the fear boys want to play with them. That's why there wasn't a whole lot of GI Joe characters that were female. There wasn't, you know. In He-Man, there was only Tila and uh, the Sorceress for the good guys. Right. They didn't have a lot of female characters as far as action figures go or as far as for, like, action for boys because, well, boys aren't going to play the girl toys. So that's kind of the same line of thought there. Right. But um, it was it was, it was was nice. It, it, it was just funny listening to it because... It's like, ooh, that wouldn't play nowadays. Yeah, no, now, yeah, now people would complain about that too. Yeah, there's so much that the '80s <laughs> got away with. It was the '80s, but it was a different time. Oh yeah, but at the same time, I miss the fact that a lot of that you could get away with a lot of that <laughs> because nowadays everybody's such a snowflake, you know. And yeah. I feel like you, I don't know, I. It's just funny to me. I, I I watched some of the '80s shows and the '80s cartoons, and you know, it. it you're like, man, they, you can't do that anymore, right? and you miss those cartoons and you miss those TV shows because they could write a lot more oh, content yeah. and you could see a lot more. But at the same time, there were some things that should not have been on on air and should not have been said, but. The contrast between him and her, if we, we jump back to that, uh, I feel like there could have been some really neat play between the two of them. You know, you said like the whole get off right. my lawn guy. Um, I think that there could have been a soft spot for her, you know, eventually. I think she could have grown on him. Well, I think here he was at the end of the series, at the end of the uh, episode. When he overheard her talking to her adopted daughter, first she was he was kind of upset that she was revealing her identity to her adopted daughter, that she was giving away the secret and all that. But as he's listening to her, she he's she's telling Holly's telling her daughter that 
you know, Bill, while he's rough around the edge, he's a great guy. He's, you know, he's going to work out great. And you could see that that kind of touched him and he was starting to soften up already. Cause that's why the final thing in his, his uh, journal, his recording he was saying is they think she's going to work out. All right. Yeah. But I kind of disagree with that whole aspect too. I mean, I feel like they softened him up too soon. Uh, not really. Cause again, this wasn't the first time he appeared. He's been in the show for with her. Well, no, but he was in the show as a character for three years, dealing with Ralph, who, again, was more easygoing than Bill was, dealing with uh, Pam, Ralph's wife, a girlfriend, eventually became wife. So I, I think he started lightening up a little bit over the series. Uh-huh. And then when they, a couple years later, they came out with this one, they brought back a little bit of the harder edge, a little more of the, the harder core Bill, just so they have him lighten back up a little bit more. Well, I think he was grumpy because of the whole suit thing. Right, Ralph. He, well, he was grumpy, yes. Very much grumpy because one... Well, for one, he, well, Ralph had to get the suit and he didn't get it. You he think that, that he was he, pissed off of that? Oh, he, he he made it eventually clear during the episode that he was upset. He wasn't mad at Ralph so much, but he was mad at, mad at Ralph that Ralph didn't go to bat more for him. That's that right. Ralph didn't assist I remember that, it. right. And that he, he felt he should have got the suit. He felt slighted. Yeah. So, because again, he was, you know, Ralph's partner, or whatever you want to call it. Sidekick. Sidekick. Whatever, for, you know, five years. And he knew the suit better than anybody. Right. Which I want to know what happened to the book the second time. Uh, you'd have to watch the series. See, I forget now. It's been a while since I've watched it. Mm. But yeah, because he got the original book, and he lost that in the pilot's. And then apparently somewhere along the way, he got another book. Again, I don't remember that offhand, but somehow the book came up missing again. And aliens were out of handbooks to give, t- so they couldn't give her a new one. Which is funny that the aliens are like, we're out of the yeah. second book. Sorry, we were out of like, handbooks. We had two. Like, we only had two. We, we, we can make another suit, but we can't give you another manual. Like, Well, I don't think they made another suit so much. I don't, because. Well, they had to make another suit because it's a female. Not necessarily. I mean, it could be the suit could maybe form fit a little more. There could be something, because it's a super-powered suit. Well, so they couldn't, when she put it on, kind of fits around her, kind of like the Green Lantern ring. There's a Green Lantern ring, and whoever puts it on, it fits their hand. <clears throat> the ring can shrink to or grow to fit your hand as need be. Okay, maybe. So I, I, maybe the suit, I, again, because I, they didn't say, well, here's another suit for somebody, or we'll give you another suit. They said, you need to pass the suit on. Okay. So that's why I'm thinking it was the same suit. It's just, it fit, it shrunk down to fitter. Okay. So if you would have got someone bigger, the suit would have grown a little bit bigger to fit that guy. Okay. That's the way I look at it. All right. But still, I mean, <laughs> they don't have like a, a printing press or something. I don't know. But yeah, no, I, I do think it's funny that, yeah, they, they only they have, have all this two technology. Copies. But they couldn't make another copy. They don't have a copy of the book in the hard drive somewhere. They could probably print another one out for you. And I understand why, because they wanted the, the humor of someone learning the suit again, as far as the writers, not the aliens. Uh, the writers wanted the humor, because that was part of the fun of the original series, was the fact that Ralph didn't have the book, so he had to learn. And so, you know, when he's starting out, he was always crashing into things. When he was always landing, he was always landing wrong. Uh, he would learn new powers of the suit as it goes along. 
And they wanted that whole freshness, if you will, that whole, you know, I don't know what I'm doing in the suits. And she had a little bit easier time than Ralph had because she had Ralph and His Bill oh. to kind of help Ron show her, you know, a little bit more about the suit. But it still wouldn't have been as easy as if she would have had the actual instruction manual. And that's where they're going for, just the, the comedy and the humor of someone learning how to use all the abilities of the suit. And it wouldn't matter. She would, and just like Ralph, she wouldn't be as powerful because she doesn't know the extent of what she can do. And there's so, still stuff that he doesn't know. So possibly, I'm sure. But do you have any other thoughts on the greatest American heroine? Um, you said that they might that there's a shot that they might revive it. They've been talking on and off about reviving the greatest American hero. Uh, most of the talks in recent time that they've talked about, if they do, it'd be a female. I'm um, just looking up again real quick what it was said about it. But yeah, the, again, this is from the Wikipedia page. It's, and again, a lot of these things from the 80s are coming back, so they could, who knows. But according to this... Because no one has any new ideas anymore. Pretty much. Oh, here it is. In 2014, Deadline Hollywood published an article that Fox Network had ordered a pilot for a new version of the show. In 2014. Back in 2014. Oh, it's dead. It was being produced by Phil Lloyd and Christopher Miller, both of whom wrote and directed the Lego, uh, Lego movie. And then in 2017, uh, Rancha Fuchbaum and Somebody Khan will produce a female-led remake for 20th Century Fox. Slash ABC Studios. The suit was going to be donned by Mira, an Indian American woman, and actress Hannah Simone was also cast as a lead for the reboot. And then in February 2018, Simone, uh, which was one of the actors on it, was announced. Let me see. Was announced as a lead in the ABC's reboot. However, ABC declined to pick up the series. So at this point, it's dead. But they've been trying every so often, so they may try again. Who knows? Especially with the, the superhero. I'm surprised they haven't picked it back up. Especially if the superhero craze has been going on. And back in 2018, the last time, or 2017, 2018, when they are talking about it, I mean, that was right smack dab in the middle of the Marvel greatness, if you will. So I'm surprised that ABC didn't pick that up. And try to reboot it. But so at this point, it looks like it is dead in the water. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. And now with the, you know, COVID and all that, everything is dead in the well, water. Yeah, everything's dead now, but yeah. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Once COVID's over, maybe they will try it again. Who knows? Is there any fun trivia or anything? About her? About, the, about with her? Not really. Greatest American Hero? Well, I'm sure there's for the Greatest American Hero. Again, I'm not really so much talking about the greatest American hero, but oh, that's right, we're for heroine. I mainly, I mainly talk about the greatest American hero one. Uh, but again, while we're talking, I, I can check IMDb and see what kind of trivia they have. If you if you're curious about it, no, I kind of am actually. No, I mean, I like I said, I was four, but I remember the. the song quite well, which is just really weird to me. Okay, anyway, so I'm at the IMDb page for The Greatest American Hero, 
And yeah, there was, of course, a lot of trivia on it. Uh, let me take a look at some of the trivia on this. I was you said how many how many uh, seasons? Yeah, seasons three. three. Okay, well, three seasons, and then in eighty three, and then in the show there was two more years that we didn't see that things happened because it was five years. Bill was saying that they were together, so we saw the first three years, and then the next two years we left our imagination. Uh, so some credits, some trivia for the for the Real American Hero itself. Uh, William Katz's real-life mother, Barbara Hale, played Ralph's mother, Polly Hinckley, in a few episodes. Uh, the show's theme song was sung by Joe Scarberry and released as a single, which peaked at number two on the Billboard charts during the summer of 1981. Oh, we'll talk about that over on the Starbright Project. Really? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Well, it's only at number two, so probably not. Uh, William Katz, who played Ralph Hinckley, said at the beginning of the series... Him and Robert Culp had difficulties getting along and working with each other. Yeah, they were able to use that to their advantage. Because, again, that's how their characters were in the show. So, eventually they became good friends. Uh, Connie Selica was rarely seen during the second season because she was actually pregnant then. Uh, DC tried to sue the producers for copying Superman, even though it's closer to more to like Green Lantern. He's got an alien, so an alien gave him something to give him power. Yeah, DC tried to sue him because the red, the red suits, the super strength. They said it was too close to Superman. Okay, DC, good job. Like I talked about earlier, Ralph's surname was changed near the end of the first season because of John Hinckley Jr. Uh, shooting President Ronald Reagan. Oh wow! And they, they said they called him uh, John. Sorry, Ralph Hanley or Hanley for a while, and then eventually they went back to Ralph Hinckley. Hmm. Uh, they officially canceled the series before the last produced episodes were aired. That's the last episodes I mentioned earlier. Uh, they were later included as part of the syndication and on the DVD. Uh, apparently, Ralph had a son named Kevin who was seen during the first season and was eventually phased out. He went upstairs with who? Chuck. Chuck. <laughs> I was going to say he went upstairs with Chuck. That's a Happy Days comment there. Um, let me see. In May, March of 2002... Plans were reportedly underway at Disney to make a feature film in the television series. Hmm. And I talked about... Okay, so apparently the, the pilot, uh, Greatest American Heroine, was produced in 83, but it wasn't aired until 1986. So there you go. There was actually trivia within the trivia. Yes. Uh, shortly after the first season ended in 91, the show's... Or 81. Song, huh? You said 91, I think. 81. 1981. The show's theme song, Believe It or Not, performed by John Scarberry, released as a single. The song became that one of that summer's biggest hits, reaching number two, as I talked about, spending 18 weeks in the top 40. I like that song. Originally, uh, Pam, which played by Connie Selick, was only going to be the pilots, but as a recurring gag, Ralph was going to have a different girlfriend each episode, but Connie Selick did such a great job that they made her a regular character. I've heard that before, that someone was only going to be on the show for one or two times, but the, the actor or actress impressed the writers and producers and directors and all that, so they made him a regular character. I think Urkel was that way, too. Oh, well. Uh, Bill was kidnapped total eight times <laughs> and shot five times. Pam was kidnapped six times over the three years. That's a lot of kidnapping and that shooting. Is of, that is a lot of shootings and kidnappings. Two years... What's up? I was just going to say, that's a lot of repetitive TV shows. <laughs> Two years after the show's cancellation... By ABC. NBC picked up the series. So yeah, it was originally done by ABC. NBC picked it up later on. 
And that's NBC came up with the greatest American hero and pilot, which ended up becoming part of the series. And in addition to being based on Stephen Cannell's scissors, the emblem on the costume resembles the Chinese character, which can mean center, middle, in, among, or within. In Hong Kong, the show was titled loosely translates as Flying Red Center Hero. In Sweden, the show is titled Taita Han Flagger, which means, look, he flies. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to start calling it that. Look, he flies. Uh, Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory sometimes wear the Greatest American Hero t-shirts. I remember seeing that. Uh, the show is parodied in an episode of Robot Chicken called Yancey the Yo-Yo Boy. According to Stephen Cannell, the, the creator of it, the emblem on the suit and also on the clothing of the aliens was inspired by the square-headed scissors on Cannell's desk. This explanation could have been offered as, to placate audiences as a symbol. Nevertheless, exhibits a disturbing and unmistakable phallic shape. Anyways, there's a few other pieces of trivia there, but my wife's telling me it's time to cut that out and stop right there because I think she's, you guys are getting bored. So, any other thoughts on The Greatest American Heroine? Since mm-hmm. this is what we were actually talking about. No, I I mean, it's sad to say that it didn't take off. Um, I agree. But um, no use of beating a dead horse. It sounds like it was a dead horse at that point. <laughs> Sadly. Um, but it was nice that they at least released the pilot and the actors got to see it on screen right. of some sort. No, especially, uh, I forget her name now, the other play, Holly. Yeah. It was great that, you know, she got to... She, it sucks for her that she didn't get to be in a series, but at least her work didn't go missing, unaired, yeah, it was and it's, shown. So. And it's there. I yeah. mean, and it's there now, and we can yeah. actually watch it. It's on the DVDs. It. It's yeah. on the uh, streaming service. I just watched it on. I figure I watched it on a couple different streaming services. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. that's that's something. Oh yeah. At least it's there. At least the networks are allowing it to be there because. People put a lot of hard work in that. And there's mm-hmm. not just the actors. There's all the people that put their hard work oh, yeah. into that. The writers, the people behind the, the camera people, people the, the... yeah, the costume designers, yes. everybody. There's so many people that do such hard work on on those kind of shows. Well, any kind of show, really. Right. And it's I'm glad that at least their work is being able to be seen even now. And people like us get to podcast about yes. them. <laughs> and uh, you never know. Hopefully, maybe down the line, she'll be able to see this. And, and I'm sorry for saying that I didn't care for the bubbliness. But, <laughs> and then I'm calling her dumb. But uh, it was just a little bit over the top for me. But I still enjoyed it full-heartedly. And I would have watched it. Same here. Well, I guess that's going to do it for this this segment. And thanks for allowing me to crash your party, honey. Always. You're always welcome. So thank you very much for joining me. I always enjoy talking to you. That's why we podcast together. But uh, that's going to do it for this segment. And I think I mean, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we'll see you guys next month when I talk about... I know I'll be talking about probably issues three and four of Armageddon Inferno, the return of the JSA to the DC continuity. And we'll see what else I have to come up to talk about in the next month until then. And remember, Ed has spoken.
thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google+, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts, and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, my podcasting friends, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at headspeaks.com. All comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on Head Speaks are owned wholly by the speaker of said comments and do not express the opinions of Head Speaks. Unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. Head Speaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, are all part of the headcast family. So join us next month for another wonderful episode of Head Speaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night. Good night.